0: you listening to Preferred Perspectives with host Morgan Matson, founder and president of Preferred Counsel. It's the San Antonio legal podcast that covers all things legal careers, staffing, and industry trends. It's real talk. It's real counsel. Now here's your host, Morgan Matson.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Morgan Matson, president and founder of Preferred Counsel. Welcome to our very first podcast. Just a few months ago, would anyone have ever imagined a scenario where an employer would routinely take its employees' temperatures? In a world where employment lawyers would be advising their clients on how to legally accomplish this, a lot of questions are raised. Who's going to conduct these temperature tests? Where will they be conducted? Out in the open, in front of all the other employees, or maybe someplace private? Would the HR personnel be in charge of doing that, or maybe medical personnel? As you can imagine, this presents a whole host of thorny issues, but we're fortunate today to have an employment law expert with us. Today, we're going to be discussing COVID-19's impact on employment law. What You Need to Know, featuring Kelly Cubetta. For over 15 years, Kelly has represented businesses exclusively in the areas of employment and corporate law. She is now the founder and head of the Cubetta Law Group, specializing in representing San Antonio businesses and governmental entities of all sizes in the areas of employment, contracts, and litigation. Prior to starting her own law firm, Kelly served as general counsel and head of human resources for two publicly traded companies for over a decade.
0: Hi, Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Morgan, thank you so much for having me. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. Can't complain. Um, at least it's nice weather here in San Antonio.
1: It's good to have you on the podcast. I think one of the last times we had spoken was right after spring break and you and your family had been coming back from California. Was that surreal, like flying back like in an airport? Was the airport empty? This was kind of right when this shutdown stuff started to happen.
0: So yes, as all of this was really coming t- in the middle of March, my family and I were traveling back from Los Angeles. And while we were sitting on the plane, we saw a news headline that said all restaurants in Los Angeles were being shut down. So it really started getting real for us.
1: Yeah. If you're in LA and they're shutting down restaurants, I think there's no more (laughs) serious indicator than that.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, well, I want to dive in with you on this kind of topic about the COVID-19 virus, the shutdown, and how all of that has impacted businesses. And you've been kind of rolling with the punches and uh, kind of been in the trenches, so to speak. And so share with our guests a little bit about what you've seen in terms of how the mitigation requirements, uh, how those requirements are affecting employment law. Sure. No,
0: it, it has been a radical change in so many different ways. I think the most obvious change that every employer is having to deal with is deciphering whether your employees can work from home. And even if they do work from home, how how does that dynamic work? How do you communicate with them? How do you make sure that they're staying on task? How do you make sure that they're continuing, you know, maybe even an ethical something along those lines. But You know, being faced with the the decision of, okay, if your operations are shut down, do you just not pay those individuals, but still continue to pay the ones that are able to work from home? And that is just not an easy decision for anybody to make.
1: It really does seem like the employers are really put in in a difficult situation and there's so little guidance. I mean, sometimes advice or regulations, like as we get into like talking about the CARES Act and things like that, I mean, Something's written in the, in the morning, but then it's out of date by the afternoon.
0: So for everybody, the government, businesses, trying to do our best, but still at the same time trying to be compliant whenever there isn't any baseline for what compliance looks like.
1: Right. I mean, this is also new that you don't have that baseline to revert to. You don't have kind of uh, the precedent, if you will, to know what is the norm and what should we be doing in order to comply with that. And it really puts things uh, in a very difficult situation. And like you and I right now, I mean, because of this uh, kind of social distancing, we're doing this uh, a little bit differently than we normally would. So for the audience, that's why you're getting a little bit of a little sound dropping in and out, because otherwise Kelly and I would be be right right across <laughs> the, the table from each other. Yes, Exactly. So we were talking, and I I know it's kind of a little bit of a hypothetical, although it seems like some businesses are starting to do this. I was at a laboratory this morning. I had to get some blood work drawn, and they uh, asked me for my temperature beforehand. And so, you know, do you see businesses maybe thinking along those lines in terms of what is their duty to protect other employees as employees enter the building, as we start considering going back to work? Talk to us a little bit about the you know, temperature taking and, you know, how some of that might shake out. Sure.
0: Well, I think for this situations for COVID-19, as opposed to other workplace um, safety situations. So, for example, amazing washing hand into your elbow. You're going to wash your hands. Right. All of those things are the company cannot control those things. And those are really the fundamental critical elements for ensuring that the, there's a sterile, safe environment. So I've been encouraging businesses that they have got to remind and remind again that it's the individuals that really are at ground zero in terms of helping to prevent the spread of this virus and ensuring that it's a very safe work environment. Now, the company has some obligations as well to you know, make sure that the environment is being clean to the extent that anybody does test positive. They need to make sure that that environment is being sterilized wherever that individual was. But from perspective, really begins and ends with individuals. And so what you don't want to do is lull employees into the impression that the company has everything taken and will make sure that they're safe because that's just not realistic. It's not in the hands of the company. And so it's very important that individual employees understand how they need to be doing this throughout the day. It's not just on the way in the door or on the way out. It's all throughout the day, the
1: things that they need to be doing. So much of the way business is conducted in terms of inside the office, these these Environments are open space. Uh, there, you know, you may have people in cubicles, uh, with maybe just a little barrier between, uh, them and their coworker. Have you talked with any businesses about maybe them, you know, you go to HEB and you see now the plastic s- screens. Are they going to put up barriers? Do you think that's a reasonable request or is that over, overly burdensome? What do you think about I that? I
0: have not seen that yet. And it's just, you know, if putting mm-hmm. those plastic barriers, everybody would do it, you know, hand without any reluctance whatsoever. But it's just the fact that everything is, you know, it's evolving so much. And I think the biggest challenge that employers are facing as they reopen and people return to the workplace is that when they left, it was kind of this bizarre, you know, grab your stuff, make sure you can work from home. But when they left, they could still interact with people. They weren't wearing face masks. They could, you know, stand very close to each other and have discussions. And those are habits as businesses reopen, Leaders need to be cognizant of the fact, you know, stand closer than six feet apart. You need to make sure that that's being reinforced because they left under a certain set of circumstances and behaviors. And now they're having to reenter under completely different circumstances. And we're humans. We're not robots. (laughs) So it's it's like you need to relearn that. But it's imperative that the leaders themselves are role models and stewards of what is to be expected because I can guarantee you it just takes one executive or somebody on the executive team, one of the policies that have been implemented for COVID-19 and it's just it's just gonna dissipate. Right. I mean, so it's gotta be a very strict compliance from the leadership team to ensure that the rest, everybody else is following in their footsteps.
1: What about uh, paid sick leave? You know, we were uh, talking about that before this COVID-19 came across and then I know some federal legislation mandated some required uh, sick leave. And so how do you see those two? Yeah,
0: I really think it, it's interesting because the big concern, at least for the San Antonio paid sick leave ordinance from the business's perspective, was how to finance this. Like, how, how is it that we're going to afford to pay for this? And I think it's very interesting that whenever the federal government came out with its own mandatory paid sick leave, automatically, you know, and it was a buy- supported bill, it had a mechanism Mm -hmm. for coop through tax credits these amounts that are having to paid for. Who knows if it's going to rear its head again? Who knows if you know the Texas Supreme Court is, is going to take a stand on this that really nullifies any further discussion on it. But if it does, you know, percolate again, I do think that the federal government and the situation that we just experienced is going to be a very strong example and support of mandating some sort of ability for the businesses to either recoup or have this funded, not just on the shoulders of
1: the businesses themselves. Right. Okay. So let's take like a 50,000 foot view, and once we're back to to full work mode, and (laughs) I hope we can get there soon, what do you think the lingering results are going to be from COVID-19? How has this changed the landscape for employers, and what should they be thinking about now to prepare for that future full work mode return?
0: Will depend on the new behaviors that are relearned and reinforced whenever employees return to the, the workforce. I do think that, you know, just people being more cognizant of washing their hands and, you know, coughing into their elbows and that sort of thing, even if, you know, once COVID goes away. Those types of behaviors are always going to be a great, (laughs) that's something that should stay around. It's always a good behavior to to have in the workplace. It'll be interesting to see if the social distancing becomes a new norm, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. on a personal level, as well as a business level, because again, we're not robots. So these are new learned behaviors. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see if just people start adapting and naturally stand further away, don't automatically hug or shake hands. Instead, it's kind of like a mutual, okay, let's do this type of thing versus just going in. So from a a human nature perspective, it's going to be very, very interesting.
1: That's going to be really difficult because so many people have that tendency to want to hug, to want to give the customary handshake. And, you know, without doing that, sometimes it may be kind of seem like a stilted relationship or a conversation or something like that so that will be hard what about like any type of accommodation type uh, issues as it relates to employment law like if someone wants to go back to work but they don't think the environment is safe or do you you see litigation arising out of that
0: i mean fear of contracting covid that being used as the basis for not returning to work is not a protected right i mean i don't see unless something radically changes which Never in a million years would have predict- predicted this. It, something radically different would have to change in terms of the makeup or the transmission of the virus in order for somebody to have that. I think before employers would start supporting those types of accommodations. Other, mm-hmm. And this is something that I feel like employees on an individual basis forget is that, OK, if you choose not to come back to work, then everybody has to be able to have that right as well. And then we don't have a business, which means you don't have a job. So there's got to be a a balance between, you know, concerns about the workplace and trying to keep the business going. (laughs) And right now, that is not an easy thing. But the governor has put out some great guidelines. Which I do think to the extent that there hasn't been a baseline before, I do think it does provide somewhat of a baseline for individuals, first and foremost, regardless of, you know, if they're out shopping or if they're um, in the place of things that they own things that they need to be doing, but also things that businesses need to be doing on a consistent basis.
1: That's nice to know. So they can uh, look for those governor guidelines and that may be at least a helpful way. To yes, try to you can just go to baseline.
0: the governor's website and they have been updated. They haven't really changed, but instead the governor has provided specific checklists based on the industry, like whether it's retail locations, restaurants, manufacturing, that sort of thing. So in my opinion, do their best to tailor guidance specific to the different work environments.
1: So it sounds like your big picture is businesses need to be mindful of ways that uh, we can minimize potential chances for transmission. Upper management needs to set the the tone and set the example. But at the end of the day, it's really going to be on the individual employees to make sure that they're doing their part to uh, not exactly. risk transmission. Exactly.
0: Businesses can't stop people from sneezing, coughing, you know, that sort of thing. And they also can't stand there and, you know, cover your mouth for you. But and that that's the means of transmission. So, like I said, ground zero level, it's really the individuals that need to own this and take responsibility for proper hygiene and keeping the workplace healthy. Well,
1: it was it was really great having you on today. I appreciate all that you shared. I know our listeners have as well. Would you give our listeners the ability to contact you T- tell us if, if somebody wanted to learn more uh, or seek advice from you with respect to uh, what their business should do in, in order to try to minimize future lawsuits or related to this or, or things. Sure, like Sure. I can just encourage
0: you to check out our website, www.cubetalaw.com. That's C-U-B-E-T-A-L-A-W.com.
1: Kelly, thanks again so yes. much for doing this. I really enjoyed it. Everyone else, thank you for joining this episode of Preferred Perspectives. Be sure to catch our next episode by subscribing via your favorite podcasting service or by following Preferred Counsel on LinkedIn and Facebook. For more information about us, you can visit us at preferredcounsel.net. Until next time, this is Morgan Matson signing. Thanks everyone for joining this episode of Preferred Perspectives. Make sure to catch our next episode by subscribing via your favorite podcasting service and following Preferred Counsel on LinkedIn and Facebook. Until next time, this is Morgan Matson signing off. For more information about Preferred Counsel and its services, visit preferredcounsel.net. Sarah Dingavin with the San Antonio. Legal Services Association Sarah Dingovan with the San Antonio Legal Services Association Sarah Dingovan with the San Antonio Legal Services Association